You were just following you know, lockstep with these narratives that the, that the media helped to push. And Minneapolis is a completely changed uh, city as a result. And we've talked about how important it is for law enforcement agencies to interact with the media. Can't say the truth, nor can you admit the truth. Welcome to Three Cops Talk. On this podcast, three active duty police officers discuss behind the scenes stories and real life accounts of what it's like to be a cop. Every episode, you'll get an inside look at the challenges and dangers they face on a daily basis, as well as the triumphs and inspirational moments that make it all worth it. If you want to understand more about the men and women who put their lives on the line for us every day, then this is the show for you. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. On this two-part episode, we're talking with a whistleblowing former member of the mainstream media who was literally at ground zero of the George Floyd story in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you have any ideas or topics for the show, please reach out to us at 3CopsTalk at gmail.com. That's the number 3CopsTalk at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us through social media, our details are in the show notes. The views and opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to the hosts and do not represent the views of any professional organization. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode is a great episode to kind of kind of illustrate why we started this podcast. Now, podcasting is a thing that's growing like crazy. It's not uh, filtered media, even though it's a form of media. Um, we started this show to get a lot of voices out there to talk with us about our profession because we're three cops that you know, worked in a place that was drastically impacted by a thing called the George Floyd situation. I mean, that's what we call it. I mean, it, it was an uh, an altering event uh, yes. um, yeah, in worldwide. our existence worldwide. I mean, any cop you talk to will tell you, and we've talked to cops from overseas and everything else about how that changed the way policing is looked at. Yeah. That yeah. and done. And, you know, it, it's affected everything from morale and police and crime rates to retention and uh, funding. Funding and everything else. And a lot of it was, you know, along the lines of they say about the truth, we want to talk the truth to people. Uh, this is going to be a show that's definitely going to have some people squirming in their seats because it's going to be uh, telling some truths that we weren't afforded to tell. And, uh, you know, some folks have in their eye, you know, in their minds, the idea that, you know, I can only have one truth and it's only that truth. And only the truth is me proving that I'm right and you're wrong. Well, there's a lot of different truths in that. And that's why we decided to get into this show. I'm sure some of our listeners or people that will hear this episode will say things such as, you know, have been said to us before of that you're three white men that's part of the white patriarchy that got to define truths for so many years and so many decades since the nation was founded. And people have told us, well, maybe you should stop seeing your truths and start believing some other truths. And hey, I agree with that. I, I don't know. I've not always done that. We've not always done that. And most people have not always done that. But I would ask them also, those same people that say that, to keep an open mind about some things. So when you hear this story today, remember everyone engages in this behavior. This is what we're talking about. We want everyone to think and put themselves in other people's shoes and realize that because we have different truths doesn't mean that we need to be enemies of each other. We just need to look learn to work within those confines and to better understand that. So our guest today is pointing out some truths that you may not agree with. And we just ask you to keep an open mind and realize that these things are constantly happening and that we all need to keep, you know, better perspective on how we can help each other through this stuff. Now, Scott and Chris, um, 
you know, we've all moved to different places. I'm going to tell you right now, I think all of us could say the same thing. And I'm going to ask your guys feedback on this is like, I still will walk up to people and I'll get a lot of support from people and people will reference the, inf- uh, you know, the incident involving George Floyd. And they'll say, Hey, we got your back. We support you. But then there are a lot of other people that are like, you guys are racist pigs, no matter what you do. Right. And, uh, it, it's, it's something that we're all dealing with. Uh, even in a very conservative state, like I'm in, in South Carolina, I still have people that will reference that usually to the negative when they're maybe not happy with something that the police are doing. How are you guys finding it? I mean, I think here, like, you know, from Illinois to Florida, for me, it was just, it was a, it was a jump because Illinois, you know, that's just predominantly, you know, hate, you know, just, just utter hate for the police and we're all racist and all this other stuff It's coming down here. I mean, it's, there's just a lot of support. I mean, you do have, you still do have the whole thing about, I mean, I still have people bring up Rodney King out, but if you still need me, I'll be there for sure. I'll come license sirens. I said, but I think, you know, I just address this, tell them like, listen, you need to listen to everything. You know, whether it's, you know, pro-police, anti-police or whatever. I, I just tell them, like, you need to listen to everything, come to your own conclusion. I said, because bottom line, no matter, you know, what you think of me or, or anybody, you know, and all the million policemen and police people that are out there, we're coming. So there may be four or five that have, you know, that, that are bad reputations that, that got all the media. I go, but you're looking at the, at the numbers skewed. And I just, you know, I just, I just say you got to make your own decisions. Scott, one of the things I saw this week that was kind of interesting was uh, the recent polling for the mayoral election in Chicago. And Paul Vallis, who's running on a pro-police stance, is actually yeah. leading uh, right. like by significant numbers. The person that ran on the anti-police stance, Lori Lightfoot, and I don't care what anybody says, you can disagree with me all you want. She's trying to do an about face on that right now, but she distinctly ran on an anti-police platform right. and we saw oh, yeah. what it did to our dear city. One of our, our it is a, by far our largest audience of listeners is from Chicago because that's where we're originally from. So what's the take going on up there? Well, I think like this is, Illinois has definitely been a state that felt that that like backlash of the of all that stuff from the George Floyd time. I mean, look at the legislature that they've pushed through here, very, you know, restrictive to policing. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of that and now and the defunding and all that same kind of stuff. And look, now here we are a couple of years later, two and a half years later, and it's starting to come back the other way. All, right. You know, that's all this legislature that they pushed through here in Illinois, um, the no bond and all these different things, you know, decriminalizing this and that and not being able to arrest for a variety of crimes. I really don't think people want that at the end of the day. Sure, there's changes you can make to policing where we should always be looking at it to change. But People don't want that. And that's why you're seeing that here, um, Sean. Like that's that's why, because people realize, hey, Chicago and everything that's spreading out from Chicago, at least in Illinois, is feeling the effects of that. And people don't want that. And mm-hmm. and and for me, like personally, I still feel like the overwhelming majority of people here appreciate the police, like the police. I really don't feel like we get a lot of negativity here for the most part. So I think it's I think we've kind of weathered some of that. And now hopefully we're turning that corner where people realize, hey, the police aren't uh, they they serve an important function. They need to have money and training. And that's a big thing, too. You know, we definitely push the training. And I I think we're going to hopefully start to kind of turn that around. 
I think that that's a perfect segue into our guest because I think what you're seeing now, I think you're seeing that swing where people are going, hey, I just can't sit back anymore. And I just, I mean, we have to start talking. And and like you said, I think a, a lot of people, even when I was still in Illinois, a lot of people wanted the police, but that's not what's going to get on news. And that's not what people are mm-hmm. going to, like the majority of people want police. And that's why with our guest um, that Sean's going to introduce her in a minute, the, the courage to do what she did and come out with truth. And, and it's uncomfortable. And that's, that's the whole basis of the show. The truth are uncomfortable. That's the only way that you're going to grow. And I think a lot of people are coming com- coming around going, hey, it, it, it's uncomfortable. We've got to talk about this stuff. I think you have more people who are pro-law and order, not even just pro-police, but pro-law right. yeah. and order. Yeah, pro-law and order speaking for up. sure. Yeah, yeah, speaking up. Well, we always look for people that come from camps that maybe we don't understand. And this is as far, the media is as far into me at times as like the Soviet Union was when I was a child. You know what I mean? Like we thought they're like, who are these people? They're just going to destroy us. And there's none of them over there that make any sense. It's a nice segue, like Chris said, into our next guest, who's been a truth teller for 20 years and a multi Emmy award winning reporter and anchor, which yes, we actually said that on this show. We actually have a member of the media sitting with us and talking with us as police officers. Um, Aside from writing projects and public speaking engagements. She currently works for Alpha News. She's a Minnesota native and lives in the Twin Cities suburbs with her husband, who's a former Minneapolis police officer, a lieutenant and union leader. She has an adventurous son in a loyal lab. She's written a recent book called They're Lying, The Media, the Left, and the Death of George Floyd. And that's none other than Liz Collin. So again, folks, please welcome her. Welcome. 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 Thank you so much for taking time. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you guys so much for, for having me on. She's she's a human. See, she's a member of the media and she's a human being, right. just like police. The police are demonized yes. and made into these things. It's again, we talked about this a lot. Like when we had Travis on the show, like local media people have to live amongst the people that they work with. She had a front row center seat to everything that changed our world as police officers. Every new police officer that comes on the job looks at the job now through the nexus of that incident. So it's very helpful to maybe look at some of the truths that no one else wanted to tell, no one else wanted to hear. And she was dead center in the middle of all of that. Hey, let's get into the, the nuts and bolts of this a little bit. And I was hoping that you could tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background, how you got to the point where you're at, where you wrote the book and why you felt it was so important to do so. And then, you know, some of the details associated with that. Yeah, Sean. So I am a Worthington, Minnesota native. If you look at the state of Minnesota, very southwest corner of the state, that's where I grew up um, in. And I I dreamed of being a a television news reporter, as as crazy as that sounds. But from the time I was five, six years old, I would stay up late to watch the 10 o'clock news, um, (laughs) which I thought was just awesome. And I would tell people that's what I want to do one day. So uh, the way the TV news business works, you kind of have to start off making negative zero dollars um, and tra- travel the country and work your way up uh, from market to market. So I went to Florida for college. My first on-air job was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then I was off to Wichita, Kansas, where I was a morning anchor for a few years. And then I was off to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, where I was an anchor reporter for a couple of years. And then I landed what I uh, would call my dream job um, back in 2008 at WCCO Television, the station I grew up watching in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I worked there for 14 years total. Uh, but it was about 12 years in uh, when things went uh, pretty south and the mob took over not only Minneapolis, but really the, you know, the state of Minnesota in a way. And I think it spread all across the country after what happened in May of 2020. And when you mean by the mob, you mean obviously the 
maybe one-sided liberal media kind of a thing. Now it's just, you know, where I come from in New Jersey, if you say the mob, it has a totally different connotation. Different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's what I thought the mob was too, but it's, uh, it's the angry mob. Um, and, and actually in the, you know, the book is called, um, they're lying, the media, the left and the death of George Floyd, the book, um, that, that I put together, but the left to me is, sort of this group. Um, they don't just want you canceled. They want you killed. And for some reason, we've given a lot of mm -hmm. power uh, to this left. I think, um, you know, again, um, this movement that that spread across the country um, after this and kind of really showed up um, at not only my workplace, but um, w where we live um, kind of again and again uh, that summer of 2020. But you but so but you were demoted. And this is part of like the whole truth and stuff that we, that we seek that you were demoted, not because of anything you did. Correct. Yeah. So immediately um, after this incident, I am removed from the anchor position that I held uh, for 12 years at, at the station. So I was anchoring on the weekends, but I was also, uh, you know, a very familiar face. I was the main fill-in anchor um, at this station yeah. anytime our, our main anchors would be off. And I was um, not only removed from the anchor desk, but I was basically demoted to a position that cub reporters uh, would have when they first started um, at the station. I was pulled off of anything political, um, anything involving public safety, anything involving, um, you know, politicians. And I was just sort of like, you know, losing my career before, before my eyes. And I never had a straight answer. I, um, I wanted to go back to the position that I had. I didn't really make sense to me. I understood that I, you know, couldn't report on this story, uh, per se, but it was within, you know, six months that it was pretty clear that, um, you know, I wasn't going to be getting my, my job back, but I finished off out my contract and, uh, just went looking for, for work elsewhere. But, you know, after all of this happened, I was basically blackballed in this, in the market. Um, and I decided to go with, you know, alternative media, independent media. And I think that's kind of the future of all of this because the mainstream media just simply is, is not telling the truth, uh, Period. How, how quick, Liz, did that come? Was there something that you noticed right away? You're like, whoa, wait a second. I'm being kind of targeted here now because of my husband. Or was it like a series of events? Or how did, how did you start to see where that was tracking? So on Twitter right away, they came after me um, and uh, my husband because, of course, it was uh, killer cops that he represents murdering um black men in the streets of Minneapolis, because that made a lot of sense um, to these these people from the beginning. Um, but but as I talk about in the book, this is really not what's bothering me. What's bothering me most about this incident is how everything um, is hidden and hidden for a reason, because it was quickly realized that this whole scenario didn't really fit the narrative uh, they were pushing. And, and, you know, you guys know better than anybody else that we've seen it again and again uh, with many of these uh uh, police incidents. I was very upfront about the whole thing, um, but I think that a lot of law enforcement families, uh, you know, can can relate. After this incident from May of 2020, all of a sudden, all law enforcement is swept up in this um, controversy, and I think you know their families in many ways uh, paid paid the highest price because uh, you know officers across the country they're being canceled, they're being threatened. It's everybody's painted with this broad brush, um, et cetera. But in the book, I write about just how this is troubling me from a media standpoint more than anything else. Again, I grew up really with the heart of a, a reporter. I, this is, you know, we're going to hold the powerful accountable. We're going to follow the money. We're going to follow the power. Uh, 
that wasn't happening in this case uh, from from day one. I mean, we had journalists turned into activists. I was working with people who were using the hashtag Black Lives Matter. Um, and, you know, we're a large, we were a large television station. People rely on us for accurate information. And we were, it wasn't so much what we were putting on television, it's what we were not. And it was information we really were privy to, what I was uh, privy to, um, being who I'm you know, married to. Um, but a lot of this was public documentation, things, facts that were right there, but they were choosing not to report on them uh, for a reason. And I felt like we were really poisoning uh, the public and their relationship with the police. And that's what I really wanted to tackle in, in the book. And I used more than 200 sources, um, you know, for the book. So this is all uh, public, public documentation. I worked with a great editor, uh, Dr. J.C. Shea is his name. Um, a former police officer uh, himself uh, who, who believes in the, the truth as well. So that's what we really wanted to get out there, uh, putting the book together. How was the market's reaction to that? How were your viewers like, did you hear from them at all about it? Well, that's what I think uh, w- was so telling also. So in the, in the beginning, you know, again, it's the angry mob. So they're threatening your life on Twitter. They're sending stuff, um, you know, to our mailbox. They're having protests outside our house at the station. Um, but these are people that n- never really watched the news channel that I worked anyway. So I don't know, you know, so, and it's not even, they're spelling my name wrong. They don't really have some sort of, you know, they, again, it's just part of the cancel culture. They want to get as many people, uh, canceled, uh, as possible wrapped up in, in all of this. And, um, I think there was a, a petition started in the beginning that, you know, Liz Collin needs to step down due to her ties to, white supremacy, because that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, And, you know, it was a few dozen people, I think, at first who signed it, maybe a hundred signed it um, at the end. And then some, one of, you know, viewers came along and they started a petition to get me back on the air, which thousands of people signed. Uh, But of course, my management wouldn't listen (laughs) to, to those people. I always like sit back and wonder like how these things come to be. And like we talked about individuals and how you trust individuals. Like you're a journalist as an individual that I got to, I could get to know and trust and be willing to deal with. But like these, these, you know, these fences are built between professions or people or groups or whatever. Why do you think the media, at least on the national or international level, feels that that is like a good thing to do? Undermine the very system that they're there to represent. Like the first amendment covers a free and open press. Like we need that, but it nowhere in there does it say the press should be responsible. So it seems like at times people run with that and they turn on us as a profession and make the problem even much worse. Why, why do you think that that occurs at least? Am I, or am I wrong in that? No, I, you're, you're definitely not wrong. I will say that there are a few of us um, that do believe in, in law and order <laughs> as, as members <laughs> right. of the media. And that's really what bothered me uh, with this incident also. Um, So we have the mayor of Minneapolis. We have the governor of Minnesota. uh, We have the police chief uh, of Minneapolis pushing this racist, divisive narrative. And we know uh, where this goes, right? So in the the book, we talk um, to people who are trapped in the third precinct that was, you know, surrendered to peaceful protesters uh, a few days into the riots. Uh, You have the the mayor apologizing to, to black America. Uh, from from the very beginning and and clearly hiding the fact that this is a mixed race group of officers uh, that responded that day. Mm-hmm. You have uh, mm-hmm. Tukau, 
You have uh, Alex King, he's black, uh, who was with George Floyd twice as long as, as Derek Chauvin was. But, but there is this divisive narrative. And in the newsroom, I'm saying, why are we not questioning the fact? Why are we just going with this? Why are we but, you know, yeah. talking to somebody else or just clearly fact checking what, what they're saying? Because they're, again, fueling the fl- flames uh, mm-hmm. of racism um, when this had nothing to do uh, with that, which is why racism never even came up um, you know, in, in the trial. Um, but, but it was all also a, an election year. You know, this is they were trying to oust uh, Donald Trump, as you know, at all costs. Um, mm-hmm. So this sort of fit perfectly um, in, into that as well. We had a mandate um, in the newsroom where I worked. I talk about this in the book also that the people after George Floyd, half of the people we interviewed had to be um, non-white or from a protected class. So imagine how difficult that is in the really? news business. We're actually right. implementing racism as far as I was concerned. Um, not only did I have to look at people's skin color before putting them on camera to interview, but I have to worry about who they're sleeping with. Um, it made absolutely no sense to me. And again, it's pushing propaganda, not um, not actually doing what we're paid to do, I think, which is inform the public. We're poisoning uh, the public, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, how can you even find, I mean, like by doing that, I think, doesn't that just... How are you going to find the, the, like percentage of this or a percentage of that? Percent that they, they, they probably weren't even there. Well, not only with um, this incident, but just all news stories moving forward. This was oh, a, it was this everything, was, not just oh, this. Yes. It was everything. Right. And yeah. not, on, not only that, but there was also a mandate implemented after this incident um, in this station where I worked um, at the time that the police could go ahead and tell us one thing, you know, in a press release. But we mm-hmm. had to find a counter narrative to their story because we no longer what believed what, you know, the police uh, would really? tell us. Wow. Yeah, so it, it was uh, pretty disgusting uh, as far as far as um, I was concerned, and and again we were just following you know lockstep with um, the, these narratives that the, that the media helped to push. And Minneapolis is a completely changed uh, city as a result. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. and and that is such a bad thing when we when we've talked we've talked about this in past shows about how important it is for law enforcement agencies to interact with the media and and have those good relationships and right. be able to share information and you know for the media to understand hey there just are sometimes some things that we can't discuss but if you're we've talked about how law enforcement as a whole has been bad about just kind of shielding everything as opposed you know in the whole no comment thing you know you, you got to get it out there and that that's going exactly against what what we've been trying to do to improve that for you know several years now it's crazy yeah i think um maybe travis talked about that um with, with you guys before but yeah you know the police departments now have their own tools um and we live in a world where it is easy to you know have a podcast or, or put out press releases or right. have a twitter account you know whatever i mm-hmm. i'm a strong proponent of police should just go ahead and push push their messaging themselves and not really rely on reporters to get it right. Because I worked with many people, you know, I saw this firsthand that they believe the police are the problem. So you're never going to get a fair story from somebody like that. It's just not how it's going to work. And they're being raised in an environment where that is nurtured and brought out in them. You're going to get ahead and not get fired like you did if you push the message and not the truth. And that's what's scary about this entire thing. It's very unnerving to be an American at, you know, I'm over 50, whether you could guess that or not at this point. I mean, um, but it's 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 scary to like we're living in a time in which, you know, I'm I, like, I'm not naive enough to think that my own government doesn't lie to me about things and stuff like that. But right. this idea is not novel. The president of the United States has a person that comes out there and talks 
and is the subject of ridicule or acceptance by the media because they're just portraying a message about how things are going. Again, we talked about this, like all of these things on the show. We did a show with uh, Dave Smith about the shooting in Grand Rapids. When you watch the nexus of that, everyone points and says, Derek Chauvin should have been smarter to know that kneeling on a man's neck at a time of need like that. Look, I'll agree with that. Like maybe Derek should have done some things or Chauvin should have done some things that like, hey, sit the guy up. Look like you're trying to do it. Like you can't stop a fentanyl overdose if you don't have the tools to stop a fentanyl overdose. We have come to learn that some of that may have been the case with that. But the bottom line is if you showed some compassion passion, whatever. I don't know the whole story, but that's the nexus that most people see that. That's the image that we can't undo from this. It doesn't matter. Well, what- and I'll just uh, just say that there's so much more in the book about the images leading up um, to to the, you know, the, the viral video. Again, right. there's a reason that we were not allowed to see uh, right. the body cam footage of the other officers. And I'll just talk about, you know, the knee on the neck narrative as well. Also something that was lied about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Minneapolis uh, police are, are trained with the maximum restraint technique, the MRT. Well, did you know that the, the training manual, the two pages that clearly explain the MRT, uh, went offline the day after. Uh, we have the police administration talking about how this is this is training they don't recognize. It's never been a part of training. We even had the police chief saying that on the stand uh, <laughs> under oath. Clearly, clearly a lie. It's been something they trained in for years and actually continue to this day. And the knee is actually more on the shoulder blade, which you can clearly see in the body camera footage. Right. But it's all it right. was all about uh, optics from day one. And now vascular neck restraints, which are a way of not if trained properly, forms of killing people and subduing them properly without them are completely banned. So we're left with more draconian response in a deadly force situation than we are than, than we would have been in the past. So the idea of all of this is going on, but th- the message of selling that is like, it's not new to the police. So her point of, we should start controlling our message and saying, hey, we shouldn't rely on the media. As Liz alluded, uh, Major Travis Yates and former public information officer and now current public relations consultant, Tamron Olden, have both joined us to talk about the idea of police departments and municipalities better controlling their messaging. If you want to check those episodes out, you can go back to them. Please do so. It's episode 114 and 94. And that's where we're going to wrap this show. So please join us for part two of this episode. If you'd like to get a hold of us to provide feedback, ask a question, recommend some show topics, or actually just be a guest or participant, you can email us at 3CopsTalk at gmail.com. That's the number 3CopsTalk at gmail.com. If you'd like to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can go to our webpage of www.thenumber3copstalk.com. We appreciate you listening and we hope to have you back. Have a great day.